0: Open up your Bibles to Psalms. Uh, Specifically, we want to look at Psalm number 11. Uh, This will be the beginning of a series of messages on discernment. Uh, I've really been uh, wrestling with this topic and our need for this topic since uh, about mid-December, I guess, so... Uh, it will feel good for me to get started on it. I don't know how, how great it will feel for everybody else, but I've really enjoyed this study. It's revealed a lot of things to me. Obviously, it's revealed uh, our need for repentance because that's come up a lot in our other subjects as well. But let's read Psalm 11. We'll go ahead and read the entire thing. Uh, I don't do this very often, but I would like to ask you to stand. It is only seven verses, so if you're able to, we'll go ahead and stand and read Psalm number 11, verses 1-7. through seven. This is a Psalm of David. And it says, "In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain. For lo, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may privily, this means obscurity or darkness, gloom, spiritual unreceptivity, calamity, under the cover or without being perceived, that they may, without being perceived, shoot at the upright in heart. This next verse is the key verse really for our study. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence his soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and an horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you once more for the opportunity to preach and teach your word. We ask, Father, that it not be my voice here, heard here today, Lord, but it be your words, your writings, your inspiration, your message for your people this day, and that we would give you all the praise and honor and glory for it. We pray for those who are missing from our services and long for those who are watching or listening to be a part of this assembly. We ask all of your mercy and all of these blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The psalm presents a question that every Christian should ask themselves, and I've been a big fan of questions, as you know, uh, in recent months. But here's one more. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And this is really a question that's been looming for me for the last three or four years. As you heard Brother Enrique talk last week about the, uh, the that virtual conference that we did and, and everything that, that came out of that and everything that went into that. Well, really, we started to grasp the idea that our nation sees the churches as unessential. And sadly, some of our folks do too. So we have to ask the question, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The easy answer for the Christians is... Pray. That's what the righteous can do. That's all the righteous have ever been able to do. But I want to use this verse in maybe a different way. I want to encourage discernment. I want this question, this verse, to be a warning unto us that yes, the foundations are being targeted by the enemy. They always have been. But our lack of exercising discernment opens up ways for the enemy to attack. Uh, There is an armor that Paul speaks of that we'll look at over the next couple of weeks. And I I want us to, to really ask the question, why is he talking about armor? If the only thing the righteous can do when the foundation is destroyed is pray, or as the foundation is being destroyed, if the only thing we can do is pray, why would Paul say that we need armor? Why do we have the word discernment at all? Why do anything? I mean, we can really run a long way with this, could we not? If all we can do is pray, why witness? Folks down the road have already run that distance, and they don't. They don't do mission work. They don't witness. Maybe we don't either. But that's not the commandment of our Lord. The psalmist presents a tense environment in which there are very real enemies among the righteous. And Jesus did too. Listen to Mark 14, verses verse 38. Jesus says, Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit is truly ready, but the flesh is weak. Not just weak, this Greek word infers that we are without strength or even impotent, without the ability to be strong. Which is why he commands for us to watch and pray, because we don't have strength. Watch and pray because we are like sheep up for the slaughter as well. We are defenseless lest we watch and pray. Beloved, without Jesus we can do nothing. This is what he confessed in John 15 verse 5. Shouldn't we then look for Jesus? Shouldn't we then look for Jesus in all things? Not just look for Jesus to come again. But Colossians 3 makes it clear that everything we do should be unto the Lord then I think in everything that we take part in, we should look for Jesus. And if he's not there, get out. Matthew Henry wrote, Those that truly fear God and serve him are welcome to put their trust in him. The psalmist, before he gives an account of his temptation to distrust God, records his resolution to trust in him as that by which he was resolved to live and to die. The believer, though not terrified by his enemies, may be tempted, by the fears of his friends, to desert his post or neglect his work. They perceive his danger, but not his security. They give him counsel that savors of worldly policy rather than of heavenly wisdom. The principles of religion are the foundations on which the faith and hope of the righteous are built. We are concerned to hold these fast against all temptations to unbelief, but uh, for believers would be undone if they had not God to go to, God to trust in, and future bliss to hope for. So let me ask it this way. We just talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why did they make a stand to not honor the king at the sound of the cymbal, the, the trumpet, the organ, all of the instruments? Why did they say that we're not going to do this thing? The foundation for which they stood was starting to crumble. They they should have just prayed. And I'm sad to say this is the counsel of some of our preacher brethren that call themselves pastors. And I will agree. There are times when prayer is all we can do. But there's also times when if all we did was pray, we'll still go do the wrong thing. We should listen and heed the answer of our prayers as well, should we not? God said, stand. Not in honor of the king, but in honor of me. They were delivered from that fiery furnace. They were joined in that fiery furnace. So we see the same thing here. Uh, What Matthew Henry alludes to here is the strength lost will see in Christians when they are going through affliction, and yet they stand. And that is, by the way, how Paul begins that part of his writing when he talks about the armor. Stand. Stand. And he talks about wearing the armor so that we can stand. So we then see there is an importance for us to stand. And therefore, we know we have to have discernment to know what to stand for, to know what to stand against. And your discernment does not come from every word that drips out of my mouth or Steve's mouth or any other teacher's mouth. It comes from the Word of God. Everything in our lives should be weighed in the balance of this book, of God and Jesus' life, his ministry, his words, what he did, how he handled things. Like one preacher says, uh, for him, it's always, what does the Bible say on this? I think we'd be surprised how often the Bible does speak to everything we run into. It's kind of the purpose. The prosperity of wicked people and their wicked, evil ways and the straits and distresses which the best men are sometimes brought into, tried David's faith, which is how we got this psalm. This God governs the world. We may know what men seem to be, but God knows what they are. As the refiner, he knows the value of gold when he has tried it. God is said to try with his eyes in this psalm, because he cannot err or be imposed upon. If he afflicts his people, it is for their trial. It is for their benefit. It is for their good. How stands the case between God and our souls? Is Christ our hope? Is Christ our consolation? Is Christ our security? If you've said no to any of those things, you don't know him. And you must be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. Paul, I feel, knew a great deal about this spiritual warfare that the psalmist speaks of. Consider what he writes there in Ephesians 6. And you can go ahead and turn to Ephesians. We're going to be there for at least the remainder of today. But what he writes there in Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Why do we have the power of his might? There's a a phrase referred to in Revelation, the overcomer. The Lord speaks of it to the overcomer this, to the overcomer that. We need the strength. We need his might if we are to overcome. To exercise his might, we have to utilize it in, in many ways, in many forms, but discernment possibly being the most important because you are going to come into contact with sin. You are going to come into contact with temptation. You're going to come in contact with vile things. And using the human body as an example, our body expels vile things. It brings attention to vile things. It has a way to get rid of and remove vile things. Uh, If there's a vile thing that our skin comes into contact with, it gets red like a beacon drawing attention. There's trouble here. It needs to be addressed. It needs to be dealt with. This is how we should live our lives, beloved. What we allow ourselves to take in spiritually impacts everything. Our speech, our thoughts, uh, our confession of love, our confession of Christ. It's all impacted by what we allow ourselves to digest. Paul says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? That ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. There's an important place for prayer. We're going to get there. But Paul specifically says here that we, drawing on the strength of God, stand against the wiles of the devil. I believe if we were to go into a hole and just pray it away, he would have said that. But that's not what he says. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Uh, I'm, I'm not going into this emphatic place in which I'm going to start hitting you with cloths and heal you. But we aren't to cower. We're more than conquerors. And we aren't to also say that the only answer to everything is prayer. Why are we praying? Are we not seeking beseeching of the Lord some way in which action will result? And when we pray, as we've seen with Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel and Leah in our Wednesday night studies, when we pray and he answers, are we not to respond? Are we not to follow? To react? If I said the building's on fire and you just sat there, your lives are at stake. You've been warned. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against, listen to this, we wrestle against principalities. We wrestle against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Did you know that we wrestle against that? You're not just arm wrestling with your sinner of a neighbor. You're wrestling with the unseen. Those demons that are only spoken of in Acts and other places in the Bible itself, they're still here. They are still overtaking. They are what we wrestle with. Right this hour, in this room alone, those who are wearing head covering believe the angels are in attendance to the preaching of God's word. Do we not? When you go out those doors, do you believe there are no more invisible principalities that you cannot see? That they only dwell in here? That would be a horrible way to live your existence. When you go out there, there are more invisible things. More invisible things that seek to persuade, seek to dissuade, Uh, it might seem Stone Age to say, well, depression is a type of demon. Depression is a type of spook. Depression is something that's being put upon someone. Well, in this day and age where we address everything with a pill, I'm sure it does seem kind of Stone Age. But that's not how it's always been seen. And the Catholics weren't the only ones trying to address it with exorcism once upon a time. We absorb all of these things now. We take them all in until we can't handle them anymore, and then we go to the pharmacist. Why don't we go to God? Why don't we go to the great physician? Now, if the pharmacist says, I'm prescribing, I don't even know medication. I'm prescribing penicillin for this thing that you take. And Marcia takes the penicillin. She goes home, puts it in the medicine cabinet, closes the medicine cabinet, and goes on about her day. And three weeks later, she's still sick. She's still miserable. I use you as an example because you just told me this week you're not that person. But in three weeks, she says, I don't know why I'm still sick. And we say, well, didn't you go to the pharmacist, the doctor? She says, yes, I've got the medication there in the cabinet. It's doing me no good. I'm still sick. So when we go to the great physician and he reveals this thing needs to get out of your life, you say, all right. I'm going to tack it upon this board to remind myself it needs to go away. He says, no, it's got to go away. you say, all right, well, I'm going to put it in my Bible. That way I never forget it should go away. And he says, no, it needs to go away. And you say, all right, well, I'll put it in the medicine cabinet. No, it needs to go away. How does it go away? Repentance. You see, if we don't have discernment, we don't know what to repent of. If we don't have discernment, we don't know what's bad. We don't know what's in the way of God's will for us. Oh, yes, God can overcome all things, and you should pray. But at times, he says, stand and watch. That's what he told Moses and the Israelites. Why are you crying to me? Stand and watch. Deliverance has already been ordained. It's already coming to pass. Sometimes he says, move. Sometimes he says, call down. Sometimes he says, go forward. But if you don't do those things when you have sat and prayed, then why did you go to the great physician to begin with? This is where I I fear we are as Christians in 2023. We've pleaded with him in 2020 more earnestly than maybe we've ever pleaded with him before. Rescue us, Father. Deliver us, Father. Make your strength known, Father. Make our church a strong, Father. Oh, revive us again, Father. Won't it be great? All of those things, wonderful things to pray for. And as he's revealed unto us what it is we are to do, we're like, "Mm mm-hmm, yep, yep, Mm mm-hmm, yep, yep. When when Rebecca does this with the kids, they know she's not listening. And I say that because she's far enough back she can't hit me with that pen in her mouth. When I do that to the kids, I'm not listening either. And that's how we've treated God. Oh, Lord, help us, deliver us, save us, redeem us. Well, it's on him now. Going to go about my day, go back to the things I was doing. And every time we pray, we're heard. And every time we're heard, he responds. Sometimes he responds with deafening silence. Sometimes he responds by pointing out immediately what needs to go away. I've given you the stuffed crust pizza example. You know what I'm talking about. Joe, don't eat corn. Well, I'm just going to eat this stuffed crust pizza. Everybody's gone. It'll be fine. Nobody will know. Why knew immediately? Immediately. That's disgusting, preacher. God designed this body, and he knows what's good for it. And when something came into contact with this body that it wasn't good for, it had to go. Beloved, he's answering our prayers in the same manner. Why am I miserable at work? Do they require you to work on Sundays? Get rid of it! Well, why am I miserable at church? Are you here every time? Do you pray for these services? Do you tithe to the storehouse? Are you faithful in being a member to the Lord's church? I can't speak to every misery that's in everybody's life, but if you're not listening to him, he's going to keep you miserable. Praise the Lord, you're not bastards, you're sons. He loves you enough to draw you back unto him. That prodigal son was most miserable. He wasn't enjoying that pig pen or the pig's food. He was most miserable. Why? Because he'd once been loved. He knew the Father's love. If you are so miserable, have you listened to the answer to the prayers you've asked? He goes on. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take Unto you the whole armor of God. I think sometimes we have pieces of it. I think sometimes we mean well. We parade around with the helmet and so on. But he's prescribed a whole armor. He's prescribed an entire medication for you. He's prescribed exactly what you're going to need for these principalities that you, by the way, can't see. And they're not just workers of darkness... They're rulers of darkness. And he's prescribed exactly what you need for that. Paul's likely writing this letter on house arrest. The, the reason he talks about armor is because he's he's got uh, palace, Roman palace, palace, Roman guards, Roman guards of the palace parading around his home every day. He sees this, they're prepared for battle. If he tried to escape or tried to defy their rule or tried to overtake them, they're prepared. And scripture says you are uh, there's an attempt for you to be overtaken every day. What's Jesus say to Peter? "Devil is the Satan is seeking to sift you like wheat." This is Simon Peter of the inner circle of Christ Jesus that we've talked so much about. The devil was after him. Well, why? He's so close to Jesus. Why would we think that if he was gutsy enough to go after Simon Peter, that he wouldn't come after us? Every single day we need the whole armor. That ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to what? Stand. He's writing here to the church at Ephesus and we see the beginning of this quote that he refers to them as brethren. He's talking to a church. So why is it fitting for this quote to conclude with that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand? We know the born again cannot be lost. So then we must conclude that for them it will be at times hard to stand against these forces that oppose them. In the history of this church, maybe in the history of your uh, understanding and acknowledgement of sister churches, have you seen churches that have struggled to stand? Church members that have struggled to stand? We know from the psalmist that we must stand, for if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? There's an inference there that the righteous should have already been active. Those with the imputed righteousness of Christ Jesus should have been active before the day the foundations began to crumble. And if they weren't, they must repent. Our lesson today, we must look at the armor detailed there in Ephesians 6, verses 14 through 19, keeping in mind, again, that Paul is very familiar with this armor. And I'm going to describe to the best of my ability what that Roman armor would have been like so we can try to get uh, as close to perfect picture of it as we can. But I want to ask first and foremost, what were the guards guarding? They're guarding a prisoner. Why were they assigned to guard a prisoner? He was a threat to Roman rule. He was a threat to the foundations of Rome. Even today, that would be impressive. If a Baptist were to stand and say, Rome has imprisoned me because I was a threat to their foundations, I presented the truth, and they were shaken. They had armor on because they were guarding their foundations. These Roman soldiers that he's describing here are the very picture of what a Christian should be. Do you guard these foundations? Let me clarify this. These foundations, the Lord's church, they don't need you to uphold them. They need you to earnestly contend for them. The foundations of the Lord's church have never failed since he established them, and they never will fail because he has established them. But we have been uh, commanded and earnestly beseeched to earnestly contend for these foundations. So if these foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Listen again. We'll break down these verses of Paul's. We're not going to get through all of them. But the very first thing he says, Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. How do we recog- Or rather, how do we receive this strength to stand that Paul is speaking of? By realizing that we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies, far above all Satan's principalities and powers. And he speaks of this. And uh, I told you all to go to Ephesians. I never did. He speaks to this in Ephesians. Uh, For time's sake, it's in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 23. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 23 says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward, who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which we wrought in Christ when he raised him, Uh, We received in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. You might want to mark verse 21 in chapter 1 because those very same words are referenced when he talks about the armor and what we're up against in Ephesians 6. Verse 22, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Paul writes uh, a little bit earlier, uh, we'll go back to verse 15 and read a little bit more here. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of His calling, and what the riches of His glory and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. And then that brings us to what we just read. So we see how this lines up with Jude, who's also writing to Christians, to these early churches. We see that Paul is definitely referencing and talking to, communicating through this letter to one of the Lord's churches, and in particular the Lord's church there in Ephesus. He prays here that God gives unto the born-again believers the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that they would be able to grasp the depth of hope in his calling, the richness of glory tied to our new inheritance, The greatness of his power illustrated through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son. Can we grasp what's being revealed here? This is the foundation, is it not? The very foundation the psalmist is referencing. We have that last point, the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ Jesus. With the richness of glory tied to our new inheritance, we have the sure mercies of David. That everlasting life that we've been talking about. And we have the very first point there, the depth of hope in his calling. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. So we see here faith. Faith, gospel, sure mercies of David, we have our very foundation. So when Paul tells them later they need to stand, why? To defend, to earnestly contend or struggle for this very thing. When we witness, what do we talk about? I hope it's this very thing, everlasting life, our faith, our hope, and the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ Jesus, which is the gospel, which is what saves, praise God. This is what we're called to contend for. This is what we're called to attend to. Why do you put on the armor? It's not for Isaac. It's not for Clark. It's for those lost souls you're going to come into contact with that they see the strength of God in you. And they said, "I don't know. I don't know what this guy has, but it's greater than what I've got." When they looked at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I imagine none of them said, "I could do it. Let's get in line." I bet all of them said, "That's got to be real. We've never seen anybody come out of that furnace before. We've never seen anything like this before." The strengths It's amazing. And they come out with the reputation of having stood for the one true God and a testimony of deliverance. Secondly, our strength comes from our access to this indwelling spirit. We see over in chapter 3, verse 14 through 21. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, length, and depth, and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. That ye may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages. World without end. Amen. We love those final words. But how do we get there? Unto him be glory in the church. How do we get there? By an understanding of the breadth, the depth, the height, the length by a testimony of a, of a, of a, of a holy strength, of an, a, an unhumanly, unearthly strength that's been on display. By actually standing for Christ, we glorify God the Father in Jesus' name throughout all ages, world without end, amen. Paul's talking to Ephesus here. Now, we can say what we want about the Athenians the words that he uses with them in Acts when he talks about all that they worshipped, but this church was precious to Paul. We know this because in Acts his heart yearns to stay with them, but yearns more to serve God. He has to depart from them, and he tells them to beware of sheep and wolves, or wolf and sheep's clothing. He has to pour out unto them, and this is a people on display that knew how to worship. They fervently knew how to worship. And I wonder at times if that's not uh, why it was so easy for me at times to walk away from things. Because being raised Catholic, I knew certain things about worship that came easier to me. Not because I was right. and Not because I was perfect. But I was a way to, able to walk away from some things because I never had them. We have to live a life of discernment in which when the Lord identifies something for us, we take our medicine. And we repent and walk away. We actually listen to the God that we prayed to, that we prayed for deliverance from. Looking again at what Paul prays for, the Ephesians, we see first and foremost his reverence in the matter. We see him bowing, which is the only true way to worship, as we've talked before. Notice also that he does not pray these things will come to pass, <clears throat> he is right into the church of born-again believers. He is praying that they would have the faith necessary to be rooted, the faith and the strength to be grounded in Christ. He's not praying that they'll bypass them. And sadly, that's most of the time what I pray. Oh, Lord, there's horrible things coming. I pray it takes another route. I'm essentially praying it'll fall on somebody else. But well, what if the Lord's been giving me strength to endure what's coming? that he might be on display before those around me, before those lost and broken and contrite souls that need to see a greater strength. What good's it going to do them if I keep praying away all the things that would exercise that strength? I hope you all don't take this message to think the preacher's telling us not to pray, because I'm certainly not. And I'm not telling you to be careful what you pray for. I'm telling you that we need to exercise discernment even in how we handle God's response to our prayers and be faithful in what he's told us to do. He's praying that they would have the faith necessary that they would be rooted and grounded in Christ and only then would they or we be filled with uh, of God enough to stand. What we just read there in Ephesians 4, he is able. He is able. If nothing else, we should be praying that we feel that, that we see that, that it is on display with our words and our actions that Christ Jesus is able. What business do we have to go around and witness to folks that they need to be saved, that God can save them, and then never ever display for them that we believe that he is able to do that? We talk about these stories in which Noah was delivered in the ark. We talk about these stories in which uh, Jacob, right now in our Wednesday study, is going through great turmoil, but God is still worthy to be praised. Do we believe that? Do we live like it? Or do we only praise him because sometimes tornadoes don't hit Mantachi? What kind of Christians will we be when they do? What will our stand look like when cancer falls on our home instead of our best friend's? Relation. What kind of Christians will we be when we lose our jobs instead of somebody else's friend or relative? When that cyst is on our kidney? When that cancer is ours? I don't think Christians are supposed to keep praying that things will just pass. I think we're supposed to pray for strength and stand. I think we're supposed to pray that his strength will be seen in us. That the afflictions that come our way will only magnify his ability to deliver. 120 years Noah preached righteousness. 120 years he built an ark. He wasn't going in two different directions. He was going in the same direction with both. Only when we see beyond knowledge, when we believe in that strength of Christ and the truth of scriptures, are we truly girdled and ready to stand. This likely means that may reveal for many of us that we have yet to stand. Be of good cheer, my friend. He will not leave this work in you unfinished. And he's overcome the world. He already knows what's coming for you. And if you're his, he's already begun to pour out strength for you for what it is you're about to endure. Repent and come away from this world this day that you might be able to truly comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, this love that passeth all understanding as referenced by Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. How are we going to really understand? I mean, again, consider what Paul's saying here. He's calling for the saints of God to comprehend the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height. Every dimension of God's strength, God's deliverance, God's mercy, God's grace, he's calling for the people in Ephesus who he loves. These aren't his enemies. He's calling for his loved ones to understand every dimension of the grace of God. Can you understand every dimension of the grace of God if you've not gone through some things? If it's all mountaintop experiences, can you truly say he's caught me when I've fallen? He's been with my family when they've hurt. He has upheld me when all my strength was removed. When all worldly hope was lost, my faith was renewed in him. When we read these Psalms, and there's more to this message. This is the end of part one, and uh, just so Derek knows, it was not 32 minutes long when we read these psalms and we think of David's broken heart what he went through with Saul did he not learn to trust the Lord more when he was pursued by his best friend's father by the ruler of his people did he not learn to trust the Lord when he had no one else when he couldn't access or reach Jonathan and some will say well Bathsheba Sometimes your most heinous sins will lead to you learning how to trust the Lord more and more and more. Think of some of those psalms written after that event. David was the man. He did do those things. And is it not a testimony to the grace of God that he was not rejected? Think of Jonah. Jonah. Think of, think of any of the characters that you can think of the Bible right offhand. Think of Moses who initially said his... I mean, Moses had to be more astounded than any of the other Israelites because his immediate assessment of himself was that his tongue was not going to be able to bear the message that God had given him to bear. And yet he did. And I wonder at times if that's not why he had to say it to Pharaoh so many times. Let my people go. I mean, think about it from that perspective, from Moses' perspective. He tells God, my tongue's not able to do this you got to get me, my brother. you got to get me somebody else to speak. Who am I to go unto the Pharaoh? Who am I to go unto your people and say these things? How many times did God have him go say it? He knows exactly what we need, and he knows the strength that he has provided. We've not begun to fight, the writer says. And I think that's true of the Christians today. We've not begun to pray. We've not begun to exercise discernment. We've not begun to rely on the strength that is available unto us. And if we're bearing the armor, we've not begun to stand with it. This is, I've taught on the armor so many times, and this is probably one of the most rewarding studies I've ever done on it. So I pray that it's a blessing, y'all. I pray that you come back next Sunday and hear the next part of it. It's going to take us a few Sundays to get through. If you're not here, you missed out. I don't know how else to say it. You can't hope to put on that armor if you don't show up. And and that's blunt. And for one, standing in front of all these cameras probably seems ironic. But you're not fighting. You're hiding. You need to be here. And I know that for some, that will mean you're gonna have to give up some things. What a testimony that's gonna be. When you first truly walk by faith and you walk away from the things that you think has garnered you strength, garnered you security, garnered you comfort, when you for the first time attempt to walk on that water and he holds you up, and you will fail and you'll cry out, Lord, save me, and he'll catch you, then, then you're ready for the armor. Then you're beginning to fight. Then you're beginning to pray and you're beginning to listen. Until that time, he who you worship, I pray the fall will be gentle. I pray it will be soon. The end times are upon us. Beloved Lord Jesus is coming back. Let him find us watching with armor, watching bare and ready, with His strength, with His mercy, with a testimony that He has delivered us time and time and time again. Think about how many times through the New Testament and the old, they continue to say, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. How many times after Exodus they say, "The God of the Israelites? And how many times Moses even says it to God the Father. These, your people, these, the Israelites that you delivered from Egypt, that you brought through on dry land. They had a testimony. What is your testimony today? Me, who knew some people who died of cancer, but I prayed for them. Me, who knew some people who stood for God, and I prayed for them. Me, who listens to missionary after missionary after missionary that comes to this pulpit and talks about how great God is in our own land. The last one last Sunday, just a few hours away, and he talks about hungry, lost souls that want to hear the gospel. And we say we know where the armor is. We say we'll pray for you. Put on the armor. Put on the whole armor of God. Bereans, we're called to stand. That paper will fail because we won't stand. That bookstore will fail because we don't stand. The missions that we say we support, we ought not support them if all we're doing is just sending them a check. They've asked for our prayers. They've asked for real, effectual prayers of righteous people of God that have seen things and been delivered and know him. Do we? Let us repent because we need to. Let us confess our faults because it will humble us that we might truly see our need. Beloved, I don't think we realize that the level of humility that we're going to have to get to to finally hear that still small voice, for some of us, myself, probably more than any, He's probably been saying the same thing over and over again. you still got to get rid of that. you still got to walk away from that. But I can't hear it because I've puffed myself up so much. I've refused to repent. I hear my own white noise. I was thinking that Eddie talking about the horses this morning, talking about playing that radio so they get used to that white noise. I think we've been playing radios too. I think we've gotten so used to white noise, we don't hear the still small voice. Beloved, we've got to repent of those things. Got to come away from those things. Those holiday jingles that start up in our lives halfway through the year that drown out our need to repent, our need for humility, our need for the armor. There's a lot of things that God's people need to be done with. It's not exclusive to this room, but my responsibility is to you. This is a hard message. This is a hard series. Uh, if you walk the whole thing with me, you'll, it, I'll be coming back from Idaho before we're done. There's a lot of things God has. Put on my heart that we need to address. That Christians need to come away from, or need to learn how to exercise discernment in. It has to start with this armor. It has to begin with coming away from the world, and truly seeking after His face. I pray that He humbles us. I pray, I pray that we long to hear these young people, these young voices. What a wonderful thing to hear babies cry! Y'all get him home. Don't dare lock him in that room back there. I'll bolt it shut. Leave him out here so we can hear him cry. This is what's at stake. When these foundations that we've been called to earnestly contend for have begun to crumble and disappear to a nation that has rejected God, and we have, these three young men, what will they have? Can we earnestly say that we've contended? We know the history of this church, we know men of this church who are now with the Lord one of which I stood at his graveside and said, indeed, well done. He earnestly contended. He wasn't a preacher or a pastor. He was a saint of God that earnestly contended, just like his daddy did. It won't be their fault when these foundations crumble. It won't be their fault when Mantachi says, we're going to sell things every Sunday, every day of the year, every every week of the year. And by the way, we don't need you guys here anymore. Who will stand? Who will go for me? None of us were called to sit and hide. May the Lord give us strength. There are tough days ahead. I mentioned it Wednesday. Just in the past week, two different news articles talking about a possible conflict with Russia over Alaska and multiple balloons being shot down that has now led to some conflict with China. You really think we're going to be able to fight those battles? You really think we're going to win those wars? Maybe we're convinced that our America will never shut down churches. Well, China's America definitely will. Russia's America definitely will. We need God. We need to repent. These glory days are coming to an end. And if he doesn't come first, we're going to have some battles. Let's go ahead and Uh, we'll stand and have a song, and then we'll do some prayer. If the Lord's working on you, if you have questions, if your heart's broken, don't leave this place and choke it down. There is nothing out there except invisible principalities that are going to weigh on that heartache and drag you deeper and deeper and deeper into the trench.